Hi, hello, and welcome back to another episode of High Minded with McCarter. I'm your host, McCarter. And I'm her co-host, SK. On today's episode, we had a conversation with Zach Hedstrom, the founder of Boulder Mushroom, a local cultivation and distributor of mushrooms, both gourmet and medicinal. He's also working with the city of Boulder to expand his pilot program of soil remediation through mycelium and a pilot program for fire mitigation, also with mycelium. It was just a really promising and enlightening episode, just learning from a local educator and forager and cultivator of mushrooms. So he sells them to local restaurants that use them for entrees and meals. But then he also makes medicinal mushroom tinctures with turkey tail, lion's mane, and so many more different types of mushrooms. It was so incredible. Yeah, it was really cool to talk to him about all the ways that mushrooms can save the world. I was really excited to hear that it can work and it's here and all we need to do is adopt these technologies and it's not even technology, it's just growing in the world. This was a truly incredible episode yet again. I feel like I say that every episode, but we just have so many amazing people that are doing incredible things around us. And I was super happy to bring him on and we learned so much. I can't wait to re-listen to this episode again and learn even more just because it's hard to take everything in the first time. But shout out to today's episode sponsor, X-Vape. They just launched their new smart flower vaporizer called the Rafu. It is super cool. It comes in blue and gray with a smart panel on the front so you can control the temperature as well as it uses the highest quality materials. You can save 10% with my code McCarterGetsHigh at xvapeusa.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at HighMindedPod and wherever you listen to podcasts, like, subscribe, review. It really does help us out. So thank you so much. And as always, stay high. My name is Zach Hedstrom. I'm the owner of Boulder Mushroom. We are a local mushroom farm and environmental remediation business. One side of our business is the cultivation of culinary mushrooms. So we grow mushrooms like lion's mane, oyster mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms. We also cultivate medicinal mushrooms like turkey tail and reishi. Um, We sell to local chefs here in Boulder and abroad. And we also produce medicinal tinctures to be used at home or in combination with other um, supplements, herbal supplements, things like that. Um, We're also mushroom foragers. So during the season, we go out into the woods and harvest lots of wild mushrooms, which we'll bring back and either provide to our chefs or use for um, further remediation projects. We actually go out into the woods and culture a lot of those mushrooms, clone them in our laboratory, and then those strains get used for our other remediation projects. Um, Some of that remediation work um, includes building soil with fungi, using mushroom compost for increasing the biological activity within uh, farm soil, and we also are working in fire mitigation using fungi.
So that's a little bit of background about Boulder Mushroom. Amazing. Wow. I'm so happy you could come on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. We basically just reached out to you on a whim because we saw your article in Boulder Weekly um, that touched on everything you just said. And I was like, I have to get you on here to spread that knowledge. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And honestly, we just want to get the word out about this work. I mean, everybody likes mushrooms and I think mushrooms are really having a moment right now in, in popular culture. But on top of that, I think there's some really important stuff that, that people need to know that, that can, you know, really improve our culture as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even know where we should jump in. Like, how did you start your business one and like know that you wanted to kind of get into these, like, I like to say like earth saving kind of mentality mission. Yeah, well, so I grew up here in Boulder and from the time I was a child, I spent a lot of time in the mountains hiking and just building a relationship with nature. And from a really young age, I felt that there was a lot to learn from just being within nature and listening and, and taking note of the patterns that are very obvious and evident when you just spend time in nature. So. That was what led me to be interested in mushrooms in the beginning. I, I was learning plant identification, um, tree identification, and then naturally I got into mushrooms as well. Um, when I was about 15 years old, I joined the Colorado Mycology Society, which is based out of Denver, and started going out on guided mushroom hunts with local experts. And I started to just learn a lot about the fungal kingdom in general and just how interesting it was and how fascinating it is to be able to go out into the forest and see these mushrooms that only come up for very short periods of time. Um, from that point, I got a little bit into mushroom cultivation as well as m alongside my own home gardening practice, growing some herbs, growing some vegetables, and, and naturally I, I got into growing mushrooms as well. So at first it was really just a hobby for me, growing mushrooms at home for myself and, and friends. And we started to do more and more guided mushroom forays in the Boulder area for our local community. And those became really popular and, and were more popular than I really anticipated they would be. And that just kind of signaled to me that this is something that people are interested in, they want to learn about, and I have some knowledge to offer. So I started to do more and more classes, um, classes in wild mushroom foraging, mushroom identification, as well as cultivation of mushrooms. And that led me to decide to create boulder mushroom because when a lot of people would come to my classes, we would use mushroom spawn, which is basically the seeds for growing mushrooms that was sourced from maybe Oregon, Washington, the East Coast, and you know, a lot of my students would ask, well, is there any place that I can get this mushroom seed locally? And at that time, there really was none. There was no local spawn provider um, within Colorado for growing mushrooms. And initially, that was my original idea is to be a spawn provider, which is basically a seed company for mushrooms. And we started doing that. And it just led to all this other stuff happening and has really just taken off from there. Amazing. Well, yeah. Oh my God. Where and, do we even go here? Like, and so y'all still provide spawns? Is that part of the business model still? Wait, are available? they spores or spawns? Right. So it's not spores. It's okay. spawn. And the difference is, so there's a, I'll give you a little bit of background on biology of a mushroom here. Amazing. Mushrooms yeah. start <laughs> as spores and spores are like the seeds of fungi, but they're different than plant seeds because it actually takes two seeds to reproduce. So no. instead of a plant seed that you plant in the ground and then it grows a, a plant, yeah. it takes two fungal seeds to germinate 
and be compatible and then propagate themselves to to form a, a whole organism. And so that actually makes fungi more like animals and humans yeah. than plants because totally. humans are the same way. It takes two seeds in a way, right, yeah. to create a new human that being. male and female. That's wow. exactly. And then in, in uh, fungi, we call them the plus and the minus. They're not boy oh, and girl. They're, okay. they're plus and minus. Non-binary. Yeah, non-binary. Uh, no I judgment. I like that. Nice. Well, it kind of reminds me of like positive and negative ions too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the, it's the polarity that is the generation of life, right? So Energy. Exactly. <laughs> so those wow. mushrooms, um, well, the, the fungi start as an organism which is called the mycelium and the mycelium basically permeates whatever environment it grows through so the spawn getting back to our original question the spawn is basically mycelium which is just growing out on some material which you can use to introduce mm -hmm. to another growing medium to then grow the mushrooms so our spawn is mycelium it's not spores but you could think about it as seeds for okay. mushrooms okay. and we do still provide that on our website um we sell mushroom spawn we also sell mushroom grow kits for people that want to just grow mushrooms at home you can take it and it's literally just cut and spray and within a couple weeks you you have mushrooms growing on your kitchen yeah, counter it's so. like those boxes right i've been seeing them all, all like all over online yes. too they're getting really popular yes. <laughs> yeah i had they a shiitake are. log uh, a couple years ago that's what it's called great. a log uh -huh. okay. well a log well, they make um, logs too, but yeah, shiitakes tend to be grown on logs. We grow ours; um, they're more like a block. Okay. So you would get the box, and then it's got a block inside, and you just missed it. What's and then, the block made of? Is that the so, substrate? Yeah, that's the substrate. So it's it's mostly sawdust. So it's oh. the, the mycelium is eating the sawdust, but it just looks like a big white block. Yeah. With. Mm. Uh, you can hardly see the sawdust anymore because wow. it's just so ready to produce the mushrooms. Wow. And that's happening in, in nature too. When you go walking around in the woods and you see a log that's kind of rotting away, there's mushrooms or there's fungi growing all throughout that log. It just only shows the mushrooms when the environment is right. Okay. And that's when, when we get rain. Because yeah. the mycelium is the organism and then the mushroom is like the sex organ. Yeah, it's the fruit. Exactly, okay. yeah. oh. exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I knew it was always called like the fruiting body. It is the fruiting body. Mm -hmm. Wait, but it's actually like a like vagina? Kind it's of. Like full of spores. Yes. Yeah, the spores. Whoa. I mean, it's kind of like if humans, if like there was only one sex organ that produced all of the different gender seeds out of one. So basically one mushroom will produce trillions of spores and those are different genders basically mm. and the reason that the mushrooms grow in the rain is because those spores germinate only when it's wet and so they will germinate and then two uh they're called hyphae they're like little tap roots of the mushroom spore they will fuse together when they find a compatible mate and then they Whoa. will make the mycelium wow trippy Whoa. so can new sorry i'm i'm a little bit coming obviously at this from a cannabis perspective just because i know more about cannabis than other plants and organisms but like do you i guess can they make new strains if you like just how you make new cannabis strains basically cross pollinate yeah like if you bring a like a plus of like a lion's mane and then a minus of like a blue oysters like can you make a new strain yes and no so okay. we absolutely can make new strains lion's mane and oyster mushrooms wouldn't be compatible because they're okay. different species so that would kind of be ah, like trying to breed about that. <laughs> cannabis with a uh, thistle 
mm-hmm. which is not going to work. Right. Right. You need the same species. But if you have two spores um, within the same species, you absolutely can breed new strains. And that's something that a lot of uh, mushroom breeders do. So we do that in the laboratory cool. on Petri dishes and we germinate spores. And then we can actually look for certain qualities which are good like uh, vigorous growth or big mushrooms or high yielding strains. So that's one way that we can develop strains. Okay. So then for obviously high yield is good when you're like selling these to restaurants because like the more they weigh, the more you can like char like the more weight you have, the more money you're getting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then how would you, I guess, measure the same way for like the um, like soil mitigation you were referring to? Right. So if we're looking at strains that are going to be used for soil building, you know, some of the factors that we might look at are how vigorous does the strain grow on a certain type of wood? Um, So for example, if we know that we want to be decomposing pine, for example, which has some antifungal resins in it, we might target a specific strain that has the capability to decompose pine more readily. Mm -hmm. And we can actually, mushrooms are really fascinating because they actually have the ability to invent metabolites, which are an enzyme. So mushrooms, one of the reasons that they're so beneficial for remediation and one of the reasons why they can be so important in environmental cleanup is that they can actually invent enzymes which can break down certain chemicals after they've been exposed to them. And this has been shown to be true in various ways. One example is a kind of environmental pollutant called the PAHs, which is the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which includes oil, motor oil. So those compounds are similar in structure to the kind of structural molecule in wood, which the mushrooms eat. And so if you take a mushroom that knows how to eat complex molecules in wood and you expose them to motor oil, they might actually invent an enzyme which can break down the motor oil. Wow. And that can also be true for herbicides, heavy metals, other types of contaminants. So that's one of the reasons why they're so beneficial for remediation in general. Okay, because wow. I've heard of certain mushrooms can eat plastics and things like that. So right. that's what they're targeting is like the oil in the plastics. Exactly. Whoa. And different strains will eat insane. different types. Yeah, yeah. So we basically just need to like find all the right mushroom strains to like clean up all of like the pollution. Yes. Or ones world. that are close and get them to create this enzyme. So that And you, yeah, or you can even be training them, you know. Oh, wow. You know, some people train dogs. We're training mushrooms to decompose um well obviously we're big fans of paul stamets here and everything he does first of all but like (laughs) um i mean i obviously got into mushrooms a little bit more after seeing his documentary fantastic fungi just because it's so eye-opening and the amount of evidence he gives is just so compelling um and so i still follow him on instagram and i'm always trying to keep up with like his research and i just saw that they posted that mycelium have like a vocabulary of 50 words apparently that they can communicate with each other i'm just like the stuff we're finding out every day about mushrooms is insane and i'm just like they're gonna save our planet they're gonna save us (laughs) it's fascinating and i mean from a philosophical perspective right it's an organism which is so humble it's unseen most of the time it's living underground it's making partnerships with living plants but yet it's it's having such a important and vital function in our ecosystem just from the perspective of of nature um in a intact ecosystem the fungi are so important so think about the way that they could 
you know, take that one step further and help us remediate some of these human-made problems. And to speak on, you know, what you just brought up, there's other ways that fungi kind of communicate in nature as well. There's a kind of fungi called the mycorrhizal fungi, and they form symbiotic relationships with living plants. And the research has shown that a lot of these plants can't even survive without their fungal partners. These fungi will actually form like a nutrient superhighway in between living plants within the forest. And when a young sapling germinates in the forest floor where there's not much light, the mycelium can actually funnel all the nutrients from the big trees that are photosynthesizing into that baby tree wow. to help the baby tree survive. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. Wow. If we could take that and extrapolate it to humanity and like communicate right. each oh our God. needs to each other and be there compassionately. Oh, right. It's, it's like a lesson. The dream. Literally, mushrooms can teach us so much. Exactly. I mean, some people would say that the mycelium is almost like an externalized brain. Mm -hmm. It's also been shown to be like an externalized stomach. That's the way that these enzymes work. You know, they're excreting wow. the enzymes that break down their food externally, as opposed to us that take our food inside of us. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, obviously we've created a lot of problems in the world that need to be cleaned up. Um, if we were to implement mushrooms as like the front lines to do this, um, what would a timeline look like on doing remediation <laughs> yeah. for like a, a garbage dump? Well, as soon as possible right. is what I would say. But yeah, I mean, so some of the different ways that the fungi can help us with these human-made problems and help us with remediation, one example is creating soil out of waste products. Mm -hmm. So for example, here in Boulder, we have a lot of natural disasters that take place. We've had floods, we've had fires, and those natural disasters, they create a lot of biomass, mm -hmm. which generally can be pretty hard to know what to do with. Um, you know, there's certain ways that we can try to deal with it, like chipping it up and giving it away for a community mulch pile or things like that. But in general, it's pretty hard to understand what we really should be doing with this material. And one of my proposals in terms of a solution is to take the material and to introduce fungi into it, which is what would happen in nature anyway. The fungi would make its way into the wood. But when we introduce the fungi purposefully, we can actually make it so that this material can turn into soil extremely rapidly. Mm -hmm. We had a trial that we ran here in Boulder County at a local farm, and we had three test plots where we had just 100% wood chips that we inoculated with different local fung fungi, uh, fungal strains that we gathered ourselves and grew out into a lab and then applied them into the wood chips. And then we had one control pile. And what we found is that the inoculated wood chips held, one, so much more moisture than the control pile, almost double the amount of moisture in the inoculated wow. piles. And they de decomposed very rapidly compared to the control pile. Our pile that wasn't inoculated, the leaves inside of it hadn't even decomposed. And the ones that had the fungi inside were well on their way to soil. Wow. They were dark. They were wet. They had visible... Um, hyphae inside of them. So that's one example of how we can purposefully introduce um, a native microorganism and facilitate a process that would already be happening in nature and just mm -hmm. speeding it up substantially. Nice. Wow. So, oh. And so you're <laughs> proposing um, through the city of Boulder to 
do that on a large scale. Yeah, and we actually are already starting. So those piles were somewhat small. It was like a pilot project. And then this year, we're going to be scaling that up uh, a lot more. We're working with a local organization here in Boulder. And we're doing, instead of 20-foot-long piles, we're doing 75-foot-long piles that are going to be 8 feet wide and 4 feet high. So that's a pretty substantial amount of material there. Yeah, And we're going to be measuring not only how fast they decompose and how much moisture they hold and how much fungi can be growing in them, but also will they produce any food in the form of mushroom? And then also, is that pile going to be remediating the surrounding soil? We actually decided to do this this time in a degraded old corral in East Boulder um, that was kind of overgrazed and the soil's very rocky and mm. degraded. And so we're going to be looking at, you know, can these fungi actually help to remediate the existing soil as well as build new soil. Yeah, wow. Whoa. So with using fungi in the soil, could you use it at the same time that you're growing crops? Or is it like every other year you would do the fungi to like replenish the soil? No, you can actually uh, use it in combination with crops. And that's one of the other benefits. Whoa. Because so what's happening, the way that you can think about this fungi is like a big sponge on the soil. When it's eating up these wood chips, it's actually holding water in its cells and it's helping to mitigate the loss of the water. Wow. So one of the uses for this material that the farm that we worked with um, is doing is to take these wood chips and mulch around trees that they've planted, fruit trees, yeah. especially because in our environment, a lot of the year can be very dry and very hot. You know, this is a, a climate of extremes. Our winters are cold. Our summers are hot and dry. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get a lot of moisture at certain times of the year. So, you know, that can be really hard to deal with as a farmer who's trying to make a living, you know, growing food. And so this farm that we've worked with planted a couple hundred trees in 2020. And I think like more than half of them actually died just because they didn't have the water that oh they needed gosh. when they were planted. So, you know, what that farm has now started to do is when they plant trees, they also plant the mycelium at the base of the tree. And what that does is it creates a sponge at the base of the tree and helps hold water in place. And, you know, one extension of this in terms of the cannabis industry, so cannabis can be very demanding in terms of its water use, right? right. And that's just kind of a, a known thing. Um, to be able to plant cannabis, for example, um, in a soil which also has a higher fungal content um, can help to mitigate some of that water usage and actually cut back on the amount of water that it, it, it takes to grow. Wow. So it can just like tap into that fungi and yeah. just like like slurp it up like there's yep. like 50 times more water or 50% more water than there would be right available and even just Whoa. helping that water you know not evaporate mm -hmm. in in hot weather this is nuts wow yeah. so I need this on my lawn I you need do. this everywhere wait but exactly. what type of does it matter what type of fungi you're using yeah there's various types of fungi so the the type that I'm talking about right now are wood decomposing fungi and the reason is just because we're using wood based mulch so on the ground, what it looks like is putting down a wood mulch and then inoculating it with a wood-eating fungus. Uh, that is what's creating a sponge. There are other types of fungi that we can use as well. For example, ones that will grow in compost or in manure or even the mycorrhizal fungi, which form a symbiotic relationship with the plant. So all of these different types of fungi can help to um, boost the survival rates of some of these plants in different ways. Okay. Wow. What I'm wondering is if you can get, I'm always like, 
I want to kill two birds with one stone, you know? So like, can you use like, like turkey tail, like plant it with cannabis. And then while it's like feeding the cannabis water, it's also has this fruiting body that you can harvest later. Is that possible? In theory? Yes. It's a little bit more tricky Okay, because the, for the fungi to actually produce mushrooms, it needs certain things in the environment. It needs humidity and it needs moisture. And sometimes, for example, if you were growing cannabis, you might not want as much humidity in there right. as, you know, the mushroom might want to totally. grow because you might be bringing in some mold or something like that. But in theory, you absolutely can do that. And I, I know some folks that grow certain types of mushrooms that favor the kind of environment that um, a plant would want to grow in. And so they are getting that dual benefit. Another wow. example of how you can use this is um, especially in indoor plant cultivation, such as, you know, cannabis growing, um, CO2 is very necessary, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of growers, large scale growers where will actually need to inject CO2 into their growing room in order to have proper plant growth. Now, fungi are similar to humans in that they inhale oxygen and they exhale CO2. And so one of the more natural solutions to that is to actually have blocks of fungi inside of a growing room, specifically oh. for the purpose of exhaling CO2 for the plants to breathe in. Genius. Right. That's really cool. But those mushrooms or those, uh, those blocks of fungi could also be producing mushrooms for you at the same time. Right. Yep. A win-win. I love a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Okay. Well, I definitely also want to talk about like medicinal values to just certain like mushrooms in general, like turkey tail and lion's mane. Um, because I know that wait, I always get this wrong. Well, Paul Stamets again, he he treated his mother or grandma with one of them with turkey yes. tail. With turkey tail. To, to treat Breast cancer. cancer. Yeah. Yes. And yes. she's like still alive and amazing. And that's right. So yeah. some of these medicinal yeah. <laughs> mushrooms are, are incredible in the things that they can do. So if you want to talk about turkey tail, for example, um, turkey tail has been shown to substantially boost the immune function. That's kind of its baseline use as a tonic. Um, so just to get into herbal um, vocabulary for a second, you have tonics, which basically help the body to keep a homeostasis, which is healthy. Then you have actual targeted treatments for specific ailments like cancer. Mm -hmm. And you also have preventative. And then you have um, once the issue is already in place and, you, and you're actually trying to treat it. So turkey tail has been shown to be a, a preventative against cancer. It has activity against various types of tumor growth. Breast cancer is one of those. There are also various other types of cancer that turkey tail is active against. Um, I'm not going to get into all of the details of how that occurs, but there's been a lot of research that has shown that um, taking turkey tail on a regular basis can prevent tumor growth and also reduce um, existing tumor. Um, the, wow. there's a drug in Asia, which is, um, approved by the government, the governments of China and Japan called Crestin and Crestin is an anti-cancer drug that is used, um, pretty widely and it's derived from the turkey tail mushroom. Um, there oh. are various types of compounds in there that are active against cancers, but this compound is called polysaccharide K. It's a polysaccharide um, which inhibits tumor growth. And so that was extracted Whoa. from the turkey tail and then approved by the uh, Japanese and, and Chinese government as a natural solution. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's Do you an think example. That the F is the FDA like considering this 
already. There's I don't, many drugs. That you know, I don't know what them. they're considering in terms of herbal medicine and naturally derived products. I would just say that the United States is pretty far behind. Asia has Good. a lot longer um, history of mm -hmm. using um, plants and mushrooms right. for uh, treatments. And so they respect those treatments a lot more. Um, here in the U.S., uh, we're not quite as far along, but I think we've made a lot of progress in the last 10 years, for example. So yeah. um, I hope so. Wow. So what about this tincture that you brought here? Which one does it kind of... So this or... this tincture is a turkey tail tincture. Um, so it's extracted turkey tail and it is a dual extraction. Um, so when we extract herbs, um, there's two main ways that we can extract the medicinal compounds. Um, one is water and the other is alcohol. So a dual extraction means that you do both and okay. then you mix it together. And that helps you get the broad spectrum benefits of both those water-soluble and alcohol-soluble compounds. And we can mix those into tinctures that have other beneficial herbs, CBD, for example, or anything. We can also mix various mushrooms together, but this is just a concentrated turkey tail right there. Okay. Okay. So this has the polysaccharide. Yeah, okay. right. Okay. Wait, right. so it nice. says, yeah, it says organic vodka yep. water. So yep. is this actually like alcohol, like any percentage of alcohol? Then? Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes uh, a tincture shelf stable is to have a certain percentage oh. of alcohol. Okay. You could think about if you left a, a cup of tea on your um, cabinet for a month, it might go stale, but mm -hmm. um, vodka doesn't, right? So that's another benefit of using alcohol in extraction is that it makes these... Uh, shelf stable. And now time for a quick commercial break. Today's sponsor is Xvape. Check out their new Rafu Smart Flower Vaporizer that uses the highest quality materials and has a smart interface that you can control the temperature yourself. Check them out at xvapeusa.com. Use code MacArthurGetsHigh to save 10%. Turkey tail has a lot of benefits. Lion's mane. Um, yeah, what about you know, lion's mane? Lion's mane is a that? big one. Yeah, lion's mane is a really powerful medicinal mushroom as well. And so while turkey tail targets immune system function and is, is protective against cancer, um, the lion's mane mushroom is targeting the nervous system. So there's been research that shows that lion's mane mushroom actually helps to regenerate nerve tips. Um, so lion's mane mushroom can help us with neurological issues um, such yes. as fatigue, brain fog, um, overall slowness. It can also help with any uh, illness or... I heard it could possibly treat um, Alzheimer's. Yeah. Can yeah. it really recreate the myelin on dendrites? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There Wait, is... the what, what, on what? <laughs> the like, sheath on the um, nerve endings. The myelin the sheath. The myelin sheath. Yeah. Um, it deteriorates and that's what can cause dementia and Alzheimer's. Exactly. Because so, so, it's the only thing that whoa. can regenerate. It the regenerates sheath. the tip of the nerve. Wow. That's right. Yeah. It's amazing. That's right. There's other things, wow. for example, like neuropathy. That's a... That's a um, ailment that my grandfather actually deals with. And, um, you know, that's a neurological issue that leads to pain um, just because of the nerve degeneration. So that's another example. What about something like, um, like ALS? Do you think mushrooms, any type of <laughs> mushroom? Could I like... don't know so much about that one, but I, I do know that, you know, I'm always surprised. Yeah. So there has to be one out there to help. <laughs> I know I've I've heard of someone with ALS who uses a psilocybin um, lion's mane duo daily, like a small wow. microdose of both. Um, one to treat it. another one that I've heard about with lion's mane is um, tinnitus. 
which is the ringing in ears. That a lot of times happens to musician. I myself am a drummer, so I take lion's mane as a preventative because my hearing, you know, could be a little better than it is. But um, I don't really know a lot of the science behind it, but I do know that there's been a lot of people that have reported their tinnitus being cured just by taking lion's mane. And it's related to that nerve regeneration. And like how much do you... Obviously, we are not doctors. This is like this is all, um, you know, entertainment, educational purposes. Indeed. These are all still under trials. And yes. Stuff, so. Yeah. We say it's all for entertainment purposes on the podcast. Right. We can't get sued. That's good. Um, <laughs> but um, like how much theoretically would you need to be taking every day, like milligram wise? Because I was taking this like because, you know, you can buy like lion's mane, whatever, like at Whole Foods, like tablets and stuff like is like just taking like one or two of those I'm sure you guys Tab- have or a like, Yeah, you're obviously Lines your products would be amazing to plug here. Like, what do you recommend for milligram or dosage? Because I know that's just so foreign to people. Of yeah. Like, how much do I need? Well, so it, it depends. Um, and it depends on a few things. One, it depends what you're using it for. So, so if you're using an herb such as a medicinal mushroom as a preventative, you might just decide to take a smaller dosage daily. Um, if you're actually choosing to treat an ailment that you have, you may be taking a higher dosage maybe multiple times a day until okay. you're actually seeing results. Sure. Um, the other consideration is how the product is produced. And so since I don't have a really good indication of exact number of milligrams for that purpose, I'll just talk a little bit about the different ways that products can be produced. So for example, this tincture is 100% mushroom. It's extracted with a mushroom and it is extracted using water and alcohol. Now, other products are produced using mycelium. And so instead of extracting the compound out of the mushroom, they'll extract it out of the mycelium. But the mycelium generally has a carrier um, because mycelium needs to grow on something. And so the most common carrier is some kind of grain, uh, like a brown rice. And Uh, so there are some products out there um, that have uh, elevated content of grain as a byproduct of the production of mycelium. And so, for example, there are some, some products out there that are powder- Right, but it's not a hundred percent mushroom powder. It's actually powder of a myceliated grain. Okay, and so in that, um, is you know, that cheaper for them to produce. It is absolutely cheaper. Knew it's it. absolutely cheaper. Well, it's probably a lot easier to harvest it too. It's like instead That's of correct. having to wait for the mushrooms to pop yes. and harvesting them. And I and I will give it to them yeah. that um, you know mycelium has been shown to have a lot of active. Um, compounds within it. And some mycelium actually has compounds that fruiting bodies do not have. But um, I think that the thing to consider is that not everybody is trying to consume that much starch while they are treating themselves. And so I think it's important to be straightforward and to just know the differences. And so, you know, if we produce powder, it's it's the powder of a mushroom. It's not powder of a myceliated grain. And if we're doing a liquid tincture, then we're extracting from a mushroom instead of extracting from the mycelium from that for that reason. Okay. Because I've heard some negative stuff about companies like Host Defense. Is that what they're doing with it? I don't know the specifics of what the individual businesses do, but I do know that that is one of the contentious points like within the industry mm-hmm. is just how do we yeah. do extractions. Okay. Right. Yeah. And like once it's large, large scale, it's probably mm-hmm. a lot easier to do it that way. Yeah. There's not much oversight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yep. And so, you know, it's not that those products are necessarily lower quality. It's just you need to understand like the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know uh, there's a lot of misconceptions with cannabis um, oil versus like if it's like hemp seed oil, because that contains no cannabis plant benefits. Right. So I was kind of wondering if it was a similar thing of like, if it's a mycelium extraction, if it wouldn't get as many benefits as it, if it was extracted from like the mushroom, like fruiting body. Yeah. My sense, and this is a little bit speculative, but that it would be lower concentration okay. that makes is sense. what it came, comes down to. So, so when it says yeah. <laughs> turkey tail mushroom on the ingredients list, you know for sure it's That's coming from mushroom. Nice. Yeah. But okay. like, how do you know what, like how concentrated this is or like, cause it doesn't say um, like milligram. I don't, I'm only going off of milligrams because all of the cannabis and CBD and tinctures are milligrams. Well, right. And yeah. So. A tincture is probably, yeah. yeah so, like, so how do you measure So that? what we yeah. suggest with the tinctures that we make, um, because we, we weigh out, um, you know, enough mushrooms into the batch so that there's a substantial amount of mushroom per dropper full. So, you know, our suggestion is that if you're taking it as a regular tonic, you would basically just take one dropper full in the morning and then maybe one in the evening if you want. But if I... And that's under your tongue, right? Yeah, right. So you take one full dropper under your tongue um, one to two times a day. However, if I can feel myself getting sick... I'll take that tincture six to seven times a day oh. and I will generally not be sick for more than one to two days. Wow. Wow. You know, so there's also, that's the difference between preventative versus active treatment, right? Okay, got nice. it. And the immune function. Yeah. You notice it. Yeah. You, okay. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm about to buy these all for my family Good. members. I'd be <laughs> yep. like, you better take these Get all the time. Get a little gift yeah. basket. Yeah. Yep. I, I've got all my family well, on it too. Alzheimer's, my grandma had Alzheimer's yeah. for 10 years yeah. before she died. Mm-hmm. And it was, my mom is like, that's like her worst nightmare. Yeah, get yeah. her some lines, man. Yeah, you yeah. know. Oh, I- no, I have her taking lines. Well, that's why I asked because I've had her taking just, I bought her the, you know, the Whole Foods, um, yep. just tablets that I was like, just take this every morning with your daily, like, you know, adult vitamins, right. whatever. But I do have her taking um, a CBD tincture now every night and she's noticed she's done it for like a year or two now and she notices her sleep is a million times better than mm. it was in the past yeah so i'm just gonna keep incorporating all these plant-based medicine things that's into good that. and I, I think that that's kind of a, for us it's of a younger generation it's it's good that we're introducing our our parents and grandparents to this stuff because i, I think about that a lot you know for the generation that maybe has just recently passed and they didn't have access to any of this information yeah, back so in the day you know traditional medicine traditional herbal medicine was more prevalent even in the united states just out of necessity but, you know, with the advent of, you know, modern living and the pharmaceutical industry and all oh, of that, yeah. it's just, it's become less accessible for people. And I think that that, you know, has, in my opinion, been connected to some quality of life issues that I think it's time to start to address. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so do you think mushrooms have any place with treating like pain for humans? Because I know that obviously that's a huge issue that well, we're always talking about dope sick mm. um, that was on Hulu and just like the opioid epidemic in general. Um, and if there's any way that like a mushroom or a plant can, you know, help treat pain that so many people have that are trying to like not feel any pain. Or even emotional pain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like trauma, it, is depression. There... I just actually read an article about mushrooms. Um, they were able to figure out what part of psilocybin mushrooms um stops depression mm. um what? yeah i that's the article i just think oh okay yeah 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I don't think I really have the ability to speak on mushrooms for pain relief specifically, just because I don't know enough about it. But I do know that from that emotional perspective, there's a lot of ways that just having a better functioning immune system, a better functioning nervous system can help us, you know, cope with the daily life that we deal with. You know, if our immune system or if our nervous system is, is really tense or it's not functioning the way that it should be, you know, it can just be harder overall to Mm -hmm. deal with some of the challenges of life. I mean, life is challenging and it's full of trials. And I think that as we, I just think about it as being like a robust human, you know, sure, and, uh, you know, we have to be able to manage what comes our way. And so being healthy and being, you know, well adapted is, is a good way to, to cope with that. Um, you know, there's other mushrooms like reishi and cordyceps that have been shown to really boost like just overall performance in day-to-day life. Cordyceps mushrooms actually help the body uptake more oxygen. And so on a cellular level, we can have more oxygen, you know, per cell. Wow. Yeah. A lot of athletes (laughs) ignore bacon barking in the (laughs) background. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of athletes take cordyceps to like enhance their performance and things like that. It's yeah, really cool. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what about ch- chaga? Because I know you always you talk about. I chaga. do. I do drink chaga in the morning sometimes. What do you with my have coffee. to say about chaga? I love chaga. I I love to take chaga. I don't um, have quite as much to say on its benefits just because it's not one that we really cultivate. Um, it's more of a wild crafted mushroom, and it's more of an East Coast mushroom. Um, it grows on birch trees, which we don't really have here. Oh. But it's just another really good antioxidant mushroom. It does have anti-cancer properties um, that various studies have shown. Um, So, you know, they're all great. Okay. Yeah. It's like if you're, I know, I'm like, hold on. (laughs) So sorry. Take a pause, yeah. Cool, yeah. I, um... Yeah, me and my roommate are trying to get into foraging this year um, and looking for morels, um, you know, elms and ashes are those common around here is it easy to find yeah elm and ash is kind of common but our environment is different so we don't really find as many morels around yeah elms it's it tends to be around like cottonwoods oh okay interesting cottonwoods around here or just in general around here yeah in colorado we have uh three different types of morels we have um Yellow morels, black morels, and burn morels. Okay. So the yellow morels grow down in the creeks with the cottonwoods, and the the black morels grow up in the mixed conifer forest, and then the burn morels grow in the forest fire burns. Okay. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And now's the season for morels. It's just so, starting. Okay. Yeah. It's a little early, but it's cool. coming. Good. It's coming. Yeah. I don't want to be late. So no. It's yeah. Like it's easy. Early. It's easy to be late. Um, it seems like the seasons come and go. They like do. You have yeah. a week. And yeah. But, you know, our, our season actually lasts probably three to four months, um, but you have to be sensitive to the changes. So, okay. like, uh, the thing about Colorado foraging is that we chase it up in elevation. Oh, okay. um, So we start early in the spring down in the, in the plains around, like, uh, 5,000 feet elevation, 5,500 okay. feet, and then we actually chase it all the way up to about 11,000 feet elevation um, in late August, early September. Wow. So okay. as it warms up in the mountains, the mushrooms start to fruit higher and higher. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mushrooms are having a moment, like you said, yeah. and it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that with any fad, there are people that are going to just treat it as that. But I think that there's a bigger thing going on where people are acknowledging some of the benefits and those benefits aren't just going to go away when people move on to the next thing. Right. Um, so... 
Also, it's kind of cool. It's on like the political left, the political right. Like it's it's kind of everywhere in society all yep. at once. Like yep. Um, that's yeah. an interesting thing that I, that I will speak to. That's kind of funny about being a mushroom farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Colorado is pretty split politically. Um, we're in Boulder right now and, and it's much more left wing. And so when I'm selling mushrooms in Boulder, a lot of times I talk about mushrooms as, you know, uh, substitute for meat or as a vegetarian yeah. protein option or as a vegan option. Um, and a lot of people like that, but I'll also sell mushrooms out in Weld County uh, by Greeley, where mm-hmm. it's all cattle ranchers yep. and farmers. And I recently uh, sold mushrooms at an event, which was a, basically a Colorado beef event. <laughs> and it shifted 180. And all I was saying is mushrooms are great on steak. Yep. They're, they're great <laughs> on steak. But the That's funny thing- That's how I first got introduced to mushrooms. Right? It was mushrooms, like sauteed mushrooms with a good steak. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh my God, this is epic. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I'm not a vegetarian, so I don't have any problem saying mushroom nice. steak is pretty good. But <laughs> But, you know, even for the vegans, you know, it's they, they like it for different reasons. But what I was going to say is um, what's kind of fun about it is that even within those pretty conservative circles, there's still the benefits. They acknowledge the benefits. Mm-hmm. For example, knowing that their soil uh, on their farm might be getting depleted and they need ways to boost up their production on the farm. Yeah, that's one example. Another example is just, you know, people care about their grandparents and their great grandparents and they want their grandparents to be healthy. And I had, you know, an experience where we were selling lion's mane to a really conservative family just to help their grand grandparents, you know, not get dementia and Alzheimer's. So I think that on all sides of the spectrum, there's benefits for everybody, even if they don't agree on other things. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Mushrooms, like certain types of um, edible, like medicinal mushrooms are one of the main things in um, Alex Jones's like longevity Mm. stuff. So like Mm. it's, it's been a big thing on the right. Wow. Like the first people, the first time I ever saw like coffee, ground coffee or ground mushrooms as like a coffee substitute, it was with very conservative people. Yeah. They were like, this was like 10 years ago. They yeah. Like, Who wow. needs coffee? We have mushrooms. I was like, y'all are crazy. This is not going to last. And now here we are. Wait, that's here we are. So yeah. interesting. Like, Wait. From it. Okay. Yeah. Also, speaking of fungi, I don't remember what this is called, but. Fungi, right? I'm sorry. Wait, yeah, I always say I'm so wrong with how you can say either one. You know, not to. There's no judgment. Fungus, fungi, (laughs) with fungi. I think we've talked about this before very briefly. There's like something that I thought it was a fungi that can be grown in your body that like takes over your mind and makes you like eat certain things. uh, Candida. Candida. Wow. Is that's scary. Uh, Candida Do you know is, about this? It's not a mushroom. It's like some sort of like oh, I yeast. Thought, oh, it parasite. is a yeast. I'm sorry. I got confused. Yeah. I get yeast in mushrooms. But chaga, chaga combats it, allegedly. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know yeah, anything about well, this? Well, you know, I mean, I don't actually know anything about that. I'm going to have to look it okay. up. <laughs> I, I do know that certain, you know, cordyceps mushrooms, they do that with ants. You know, mm-hmm. the, the ants will get infected with the cordyceps mushroom. It'll actually make them go crazy and they'll climb to the top of a tree and then die. And then the mushroom pops out of their head. And it makes them climb to the top of a tree so that the spores can disperse as far as they can. Yep. No so you've heard way. about this. Yeah, really, yeah it's really it's wild. Trippy. There's videos. You can watch it. It's really, mm-hmm. really nuts. So do just... you think...
think mushrooms are at all controlling humans and getting us to like cultivate them further kind of with like Michael Pollan's theory? That's a good question. I wonder about that. Yeah, I guess I've probably inhaled enough spores over the years that they're probably controlling me in some way. Yes, they are. (laughs) So that's, you know, on the one side, but you could say that about potatoes, you know, have potatoes taken over humans? I, well, well, I don't know. At different times in history, I don't know about that. Maybe. Or cheese. Yeah, cheese. (laughs) Yeah, people are crazy about cheese. I don't know. Uh, McDonald's. (laughs) I don't know. I just want to talk about mushrooms in the future possibly taking over the world well i think that they are in a way and i think that you know what is going to happen is that human beings are going to acknowledge more and more of the benefits of of mushrooms to remediate some of our issues i mean when you think about environmental catastrophes right you know there are organisms that come to help remediate whatever catastrophe happens and i think that it's no secret to anybody that there's an aspect of human culture that's a catastrophe yeah. You yeah. Know. I mean, if you look at the contents of our soil, it's yes. like, it's nothing. We've right. taken it from the substantial, like life-giving force to completely devoid of. Exactly. Well, and right. so if and you think about plastic that. plastic and yep. everything. So, and there's plastic in our body. In our bodies. We're, we're, we're plastic. Yeah. <laughs> so right. do you think, well, I know that what you talked about earlier that mushrooms can, some mushrooms are going to be able to eat plastic. Do you think that's going to be possible for them to like eat the plastic out of our bodies and or eat the plastic out of the ocean. Yeah, I was going to say, how do we treat the oceans with mushrooms? Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's yeah. a good question. Now, I don't know if I can get as far as to say that it's going <laughs> to eat mushroom or eat plastic out of our bodies. I would be happy that's if it dream. could I'm do that. That's my dream. I'm trying to manifest. Gosh, it. yeah. Well, if you can do that, I'll be on board. <laughs> We're going to team up and figure it out. Okay, we will. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm on. But uh, in terms of the ocean thing, I think that, you know, it's just a matter of working with more fungi and trying to figure out which fungi actually have the ability to decompose plastic, because I think that they've got to be out there. Plastic is based in molecules that certain fungi can eat, and it's just about finding the one that really is our best tool. Um, And so, yeah, I've thought about that a lot. How do you deal with the microplastics? How do you deal with the big plastics and all of that? I think that there's various ways to go about it. But, you know, if we have a real concerted effort to actually remove the large scale plastic in the ocean and then maybe grind it up and inoculate it with some kind of fungus that could be one option um one uh solution that paul stamets has proposed for uh oil spills is actually putting out big like boats or buoys into the the water that actually are sucking the contaminant out of the water and you know decomposing it so if there was a plastic eating fungus that could do that that could be really substantial um or even just various like filtration type of thing um, sure. There is one thing that was in his book, Mycelium Running, where there was a cattle farm that had a lot of runoff from their um, manure. And so there was an E. coli problem, which was developing in the water. Oh, yeah. And so they utilized one fungus that actually can uh, eat E. coli or at least catch it in its net. And it, they were filtering all the water through it, and it actually was remediating the water. Wow. So, wow. you know, there's a lot of ways to go about it, but... I think that's going to be huge because so, I mean, I've been hearing more and more that obviously water and clean water is becoming a bigger issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, just the using the mycelium soil for um, drought mitigation and stuff. That's yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we can save 50%. Yeah. More water every time. Yeah. And maybe be able to use mushrooms to grow 
in other places there you couldn't even grow like, right because there wasn't any oh yeah no like, i saw i saw a story that was really fascinating and it kind of speaks just to that that in syria there was a community that had been bombed out and so there was no food available oh hardly gosh. and basically no infrastructure and this guy was literally growing mushrooms in like an old parking garage or in a basement <laughs> wow. and he was feeding his community with mushrooms that, wow. and i think it had taken him like two years or something to culture that mushroom with no lab or anything oh i mean think about that that's almost like you know ants you know like hive mind like wow. we're gonna survive one way or another and with what's available to us wow so so do you think humans could survive off of just mushrooms if like that was like if like the meat became like we couldn't eat meat anymore. Like That's a good question. I think that we could phase out meat and replace it with mushrooms. I don't know if I would want to have a hundred percent mushroom diet. Okay. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna need some leaves in there. Yeah, too. yeah. Right, a little right, bit right. of leaves, maybe some rice or something. But <laughs> okay. um yeah, I mean I definitely think that we could be eating substantially more mushrooms and it would probably benefit us. Wow. Well, so cool. So with fire mitigation, um, oh, yeah. you're working with the city to um, on well, as of right trials. now, we're not yet working with the city. We're working with some local organizations okay. um, that do fire mitigation. Um, and basically, the concept there to keep it really simple is um, when we do fire mitigation in forests that have a lot of fuel. Basically, we're just remo removing some of that excess fuel um, to reduce the risk of a mega wildfire forming. This is the like raking of forests, right? And, and that's and that's um, one of the reasons why some of these fires have been so massive. Mm -hmm. Wildfires are a naturally occurring phenomenon, but what's not natural is when they burn so huge and so hot and so intensely. And so a big focus um, for mitigating future megafires is removing excess fuel out of the forest. But then the question arises, what do you do with it? And so what my proposal is, is to look at the normal way that ecosystems function in the cycling of carbon. Um, carbon is supposed to be cycled back into the soil. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. And fungi are some of the major players that help do that. So our proposal is to uh, use fungi to deal with um, fire mitigation slash or slash that is generated from fire mitigation instead of burning it or um, taking it down to a landfill or for a community mulch pickup to actually put it back on the ground and to inoculate it with organism, organisms that have the ability to uh, transform it back into soil. So that's yeah. a, a big area of focus for us right now. And um, we're planning some substantial trials that's cool. so cool. So how long does something like that take for like once the ground is inoculated? Like how long until it's like actual like usable soil, I guess? Well, that's a good question. It's kind of what we're trying to figure out. But okay. what I know from our trials down here at our local farm is that within one year, the inoculated wood chips were turning black. They were holding moisture. They were crumbling between your fingers. So they were substantially on their way to soil, whereas the non-inoculated chips were just dry and they looked just like wood chips. Wow. So... Um, you know, that's part of what we're going to be measuring with the trial is is measuring the decomposition of the data. chips. Yeah, exactly. It's all in the data. Yeah. Wow. Right and now. then light some fires, see if it. Yeah, holds. well, you know, we'll see about light that. Controlled, <laughs> controlled fires. Yeah, yeah, controlled burn. You know, we would be interested in to do that because actually that's part of the, the argument, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the wood chips are, if they're actually holding moisture in the wood chips in the soil. They're actually fighting the fire instead of yeah, in place. It. It and that would be like really substantial. Wow. So, yeah. so I would love to do that at some point in a safe
safe way. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. Wow. That's oh my so gosh. Cool. This um, is amazing. It, so yeah, the droughts, the fires, the garbage that we've accumulated all can be remediated with. Yeah. Right. Wait, right. so then the other thing is like, um, kind of with like the CO2 levels in the atmosphere and kind of like the air quality, can mushrooms help? How can they help with? Because well, I know they produce oxygen, like we said. So like, or, or they produce they produce carbon. yeah oh, they sorry. produce CO two. They, they're like us. They take in oxygen. And That's right. Release CO two. So yep. like, is there any way that they can? Are they cleaning the air as they do that, or is are they not really like helping the atsphere at all? Well, well, they're like us. Yeah, that that's a good question. I mean, they they're breathing in oxygen. They're they're breathing out CO two. Um, Is it clean CO two? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. It's like, definitely cleaner than a diesel truck. Right. That's, like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, is it? How do you compare? Yeah, I don't know. I think that that's that's something that I don't really know much about. Um, but you know, in terms of the carbon sequestration concept, that's kind of one of the things to consider. Is that when you take all that hundred percent carbon material, if you burn it, which a lot of uh, um, crews do when they're doing fire mitigation, you're releasing that CO2 into the environment. Right. Um, when you turn it into soil, you're sequestering carbon. Yeah. yeah. So that's the concept that we're trying to talk about when we're looking at carbon sequestration. Packing you know, it back in the put earth. Put it back in. Yeah. yeah put it in the earth. Yeah. We had someone in the past um, come in and talk about carbon-based nutrients mm. um, for mm -hmm. plants yeah. and how much better they are than nitrate-based. Mm. Mm. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think in agriculture cool. in general, we're moving past uh, the mindset that it's just nitrogen, potassium, mm -hmm. you know, phosphorus being responsible for the plant growth. It's actually a lot of micro organisms and microbial activity in the soil that generates some of that nutrition. And and from yeah. a from a fundamental level, what the fungi do is they decompose these big molecules like lignin, which is the structural molecule in wood, and unlock available plant nutrients. That's how they recycle wood back into soil. I mean, that's what happens when a tree falls down in the forest and turns back into dirt. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the molecules in the tree are being broken apart by fungi and turning into nutrients for new plants to use. Use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And then they're communicating all those nutrients down right. the line to yeah. the new ones. Mm -hmm. cool. But they can also carry them too. So they're communicating and carrying. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Such skill. <laughs> nice. Jedis. Yeah. I'm like, True. Jedis of the I earth. Want to yeah. be a mushroom. <laughs> yeah. How oh do gosh. we make ourselves? Well, I guess once we die, I just want to be like, sprinkle me into the. Like right into a forest into the ether yeah yeah like... or like inoculate my ass with... that's a thing <laughs> that's a thing now yeah, they're yeah. inoculating bodies Wait, is yeah, that totally an, can that be a new yeah, like business go thing sign for up you? for it i don't know i don't know if i want to deal in the dead bodies okay yeah well the... i heard only certain cities are like allowing it too. yeah but yeah. Boulder's one of them. You can it's make like, yourself into a tree. If you're going to get any licenses, like, don't waste your time on that. <laughs> it's like, there's bigger bigger fish to fry. Maybe like, someday. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Um, Leave that to somebody else. Yeah. Um, well, one kind of small question with psilocybin, with it being decriminalized in Denver, like, do you at all seeing it become legal and you guys even growing it in the future if it is legal? Well, this is what I think is going to happen. There's so much interest now with psilocybin. And I think that we're really acknowledging the fact that our laws haven't really been accurately reflecting what this substance is, especially when we really look at the trials that have been done in places like John Hopkins University and, and read those reports of people that have had life-changing experiences you know, my view is that the psilocybin 
is almost like a remediator for the mind. You know, the mushrooms can remediate um, various things. And I think from a spiritual perspective, you know, a lot of humans need remediated in their spirits. So I think that it's a good thing that, you know, we're starting to look at this more carefully. I think it's going to be a long process and um, we are not involved with that process in any way, there's way more um, work that we can do comfortably and easily that we don't really need to be involved in that. But I really do applaud the people that are putting their time and energy into kind of re-evaluating this as something that can help um, human culture and not be demonized or something that's gonna, you know, cause harm to people. I mean, I'm an advocate of looking at indigenous traditions and trying to understand how did those indigenous traditions um, benefit those societies? And obviously, you know, the most traditional use of psilocybin mushrooms was within indigenous communities in, mm-hmm. in Central America and yeah. in other parts of and the like world. like a ceremonial Exactly, exactly. So I think that that's the way that we need to be looking at it as how can this be something that can help uh, people either with depression or with their own spiritual mm-hmm. uh, mindset, Um Yeah, so I'm happy to see that things are changing in that direction. Yeah, me too. It is very exciting. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, the article I just read said that the reason that it can change the human mind is that it breaks down the rigidity of our neural pathways Mm. and can make them like neuroplasticity just Mm. increases hugely. Right. The mushrooms. Which kind of fits into the broader pattern that we're talking about Mm -hmm. of all these fungi kind of helping to break down things that we don't need anymore and and build things that we want. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Make us adaptive to the future. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So true. Because we need to evolve with these mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that, you know, back to your question of what's the future of this, I mean, I think that we are going to evolve with the mushrooms and I think that they're going to help us evolve into a more. Um, developed version of our species. I mean, I hope that in, you know, hundreds of years, as we move forward as a species, we'll look back at this phase um, of our culture, which caused so much damage to this planet and, and look back at ourselves as children, you know, because that's really what it is. As much as we think that we've made so much progress by building all these big cities and extracting fossil fuels and increasing production of material goods, it's like, what are we really doing? You know, it, are our spirits happy? Are Is our planet happy? Are we burning down our own house? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's mm-hmm. where, you know, when you look at the future, hopefully this can help make us more evolved versions of where we are now. Right. Wow. Yeah. And kind of with that, I just remembered recently, I've seen some, like, it looks like plastic packaging, but then it says like, uh, like biodegradable made from mushrooms and stuff like that. So I, I feel like I've I've seen a lot of things that give me hope for the future of like mushrooms already being used, you know, to make like plastic substitutes and hemp being used to make like yes. a concrete yes. substitute. And so I just really want to see that trend yes. continue and not me die too. off. Me too. I think what it comes down to is, you know, living in harmony with biology and living with biological solutions. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that if I were to try and define this age or at least try and influence people to think about this age of human history in a certain way, I would say the age of biological solutions, you know, to the problems that we have caused by fighting nature instead of working with nature. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Harmony instead of opposition. Right. Right. Um, What can 
like your everyday person do to help this good question shift, like help transition to a more biological perspective yeah well on the one level i think just learning about this stuff is you know good i mean we offer a lot of classes either in growing mushrooms or in foraging mushrooms and just you know learning about this type of stuff and building a relationship with nature i think that that's actually what i would say is the biggest um, benefit mm -hmm. other than any specific thing is to build a relationship with nature and appreci you know? appreciate and appreciation <laughs> exactly yeah a relationship from appreciation as opposed mm -hmm. to a relationship of exploitation mm -hmm. yes. and looking at that like in our daily lives like are we appreciating the things that we have or are we exploiting them you know even in our human relationships I mean if we think about ourselves and the way that we deal with our friends and our colleagues or whatever think about ourselves as a mycelium underground and are we you know forming a symbiotic relationship with people or are we forming an antagonistic relationship. Mm -hmm. Are we fighting with each other, you know? Um, so that's kind of on the philosophical level. I would say in terms of, you know, health, take more mushrooms, eat yeah. more mushrooms, <laughs> <laughs> eat mushrooms. That's the, that's the solution right there. Um, but yeah, I think just education is a big deal. Obviously there's a lot of need for, um, you know, funding this type of work. So if somebody, you know, is, is like donating to various causes, of course, you know, donating to, um, causes in the world, the fire mitigation and all that type of stuff is a really good cause. Um, are there any local organizations that work specifically with you that? Yeah. So, like yeah. So we work with the Boulder Watershed Collective. Um, that's an organization based out of Boulder, and they're going to be partnering with us to do our uh, pilot trial up in a mountain town outside of Gold Hill for fire mitigation. Cool. So definitely, um, if you donate to them. definitely needs it. <laughs> yes, it sure does. But yeah, make a note on, on mushroom mitigation. Um, we work with EcoCycle here in Boulder. Yeah. Um, I'm not actually sure if they're a nonprofit or not, but um, yeah, so various organizations and cool. yeah, just and hopefully uh, the city soon. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're or the we're state working on it. too. Yeah, like, yeah. Can yeah. you get like? Have you? Are there any like grants or anything? That... There's so many grants. Yeah, there's so many grants, and it's uh, it's a process. You know, For I'm sure. I'm I'm pretty busy, and so I have a lot of stuff going on. But you know, when it comes down to it, it's like partnerships are the most important thing. You know, we have to yeah. work with partners. We have to be part of a matrix, and that's yeah. the way that and we can community. Be successful. Like we all just have to like spread love. And... Yes. Do you have um, like a volunteer program? Can people volunteer with your organization? I don't host volunteers right now. You know, I would say if you reach out, if you're interested in that kind of thing, bouldermushroom.com is my website. And, um, you know, I'll let you know if there are certain days that we're doing volunteer work. Um, there are other organizations. Yeah, we can you. go foraging. Yeah, it's yes. about time to go foraging. Well, I'll take you guys up into the really into the creeks. To. And right now the oyster mushrooms are coming out so we can wander oh, around in nice. the creek and look under wood and try to find oyster mushrooms and morels and stuff. Okay, yeah. yes. I've always wanted to find morels. All right, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> Sweet. But it's really only like spring that they're around in yeah. Colorado because of the weather. Well, we were talking about it while you were um, talking to the guy, yeah. but... Um, yeah, so basically it starts now. The mushroom season starts in April and then goes until September. But the thing about Colorado is that it goes up in elevation. So right now you're going to start finding mushrooms down here in the plains, like around 5,000, 5,500 feet elevation. But then they'll go up and up and up all the way until September to where you'll find stuff up at like 11,000 feet elevation Whoa. up in the high mountains. So yeah. as it warms up in the mountains, the mushrooms grow more there. So, so I would cool. say my, fi my favorite time of the year is like July, August, where there's just mushrooms everywhere up in the mountains. That's the wow. best. 
Nice. Okay, cool. Do you have um, like organized trips set up for this? Yeah. Year? Okay. Yeah. So I, I guide a lot of um, forays and mushroom walks. The best way to find out about that stuff is just to sign up to the newsletter on my website, which is bouldermushroom.com. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I do classes as well. Um, I do some lectures just on mushroom identification. So yeah, that's a big part of my organization is education. Yeah, yeah, it's the most crucial. I mean, that's like one of the main reasons why I'm doing the podcast because like I just feel like education is like the first and most important step yes. for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of fear around just going out and picking fear mushrooms. Fear of the unknown. So having someone tell you like this is not poison. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, well, it's literally yeah. just like, well, well, I follow this. I follow random like forager people online yeah. and this cool guy, he always posts like, okay, these are two, like this is a morel and this is a fake morel that's yeah. actually poisonous and like this is what you should look for. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I literally need would need to like be watching the video as like I'm yeah. looking at it. I'm like, I'm not going to remember this. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's a process and it takes a while. And there's right. certain mushrooms that are easy to identify. There's other mushrooms that are not as easy to identify. So it's just about getting out there and starting to learn and make, yeah. a, make a friend that knows what they're doing. And You're our friend. Yeah. Now. All right. We'll be friends. <laughs> I'll be your mushroom friend. Yay. Yes. <laughs> and like you got to start somewhere, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I still feel like I know nothing, but I've also like been researching for several years now. Yep. But it's like the yep. more you know, the more you know you don't know. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. So, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah, but there are certain like, it's kind of funny because uh, there are like various cultures where people are really crazy about mushrooms. I'll tell you one story like before we wrap up. I I was doing this mushroom walk a couple of years ago and we had like maybe 15, 20 people. It was a decent sized group and we had ventured out into the forest and we had this older woman with us. She was the oldest member of the group and she oh. was from northern Italy um, from the Alps yes. and we were all kind of walking together and talking about mushrooms but it was at the very end of the season and we really weren't seeing much and we all came back to the parking lot um, at the time that we were supposed to wrap up and kind of comparing what we'd found and then we realized that the woman was missing and we were like oh gosh what should we do and we were kind of starting to organize oh, like a search no. party to go out there and search for this woman that we were concerned about and then all of a sudden she emerges from the opposite side of the forest that we we had all gone and she had found the one prized edible mushroom of the whole day. And wow. she was like, yeah, I don't know what you guys were doing. I went by myself and I found, you know, <laughs> what I wanted to find. So uh, good wow. luck. Wow. Nice. So sometimes you just have to go on your own path. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine is uh, her family is from Russia and her grandparents, parents, like they go out and forage every weekend. It's just like they're. That's, that's what they did back home. Yeah. Do. I want to yeah, do that here. Right. Like, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's Let's fun. It. it brings people together. And it's like, yeah, it's just a good way to be out and like form a relationship with nature. I mean, yeah. that's kind of my thing is like it's it's nice um, to go out and to like have a relationship with the environment that you're walking through, not just like a visitor or a tourist, but, you know, yeah. you're involved in the in the environment. And yeah. obviously, you know, there's a certain ethic about not just taking everything. I was just going to ask, yeah. like, how much do you leave yeah, and how much do you take? Honorable harvest. Yeah, I yeah. always leave something. But, you know, that's a pretty uh, contentious point of debate for some mycologists, <laughs> just because, you know, the, the purpose of mushrooms is to come up to spread spores and they all rot away within a very short time anyway. And so, you know, in theory, from a scientific perspective, harvesting mushrooms is not disturbing the organism. 
it's actually helping to spread the spores because it's kind of like picking an apple off of a tree. Oh, yeah. So then it like re-sprouts. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you could imagine like if you walked around with an apple that dropped seeds like as you walked around. That's Johnny Appleseed. Like, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like that. Yeah. Um, but on We're the flip call side. We're going to Zach Mushroom Seed. All right. Cool. <laughs> I like mushroom it. Mushroom Spawn. Give me, me. Yeah. Give me a t-shirt that says that. I'll nice. wear it. Yep. But, um, yeah, I mean, the main ethic that I kind of try to talk to people is one, um, walking through the forest in a way that's respectful. And actually a big one for me recently has been picking up trash because that's something that's that just for me. blows my mind is when I walk through the forest and I find these trash piles. It makes me so sad and, and upset. The yeah, fact I keep that a the, trash bag in my Yeah, the bag fact now. that the trash is there is one thing, but also the fact that nobody picks it up is yeah. another thing. I'm like, you love the forest. I mean, why are you accepting the fact? that it's polluted just pick it up yeah you know right. so that's actually I'm, I'm trying to organize some trash pickup mushroom forays this year as well so we'll go out and look for mushrooms yes. and pick up trash okay, we Sign would, up for we those would love to be a yeah. part of this with you and yeah. like you know help promote or whatever like cool. even just be a part of it with yeah. you like would love this yeah, <laughs> yeah. we Sounds would love fun. to be extra hands to cool. pick up garbage for yeah sure. we yeah. need as many hands as we can to and continue uh, yeah, learning really and yeah. building community yep yeah we're all mycelium that's right exactly see yeah, yep. I, I definitely notice when I'm like foraging versus just hiking, like my headphones are out, my feet or like my eyes are on the ground. I'm very with the um, situation. It's so an it's, attunement for yeah, sure. It's like I'm in like in a different way. Yes. In nature. It's like yes. all really cool. senses are involved. I feel mm -hmm. like when you're foraging. Totally. I'm it like, is. I'm hungry. What can yep. I eat? Like, yep. it's definitely a different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you forage for other stuff while you're out there like berries? Or oh, like yeah. Oh, yeah. Other herbs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, mushrooms are my specialty for sure, but I definitely like to look for wild plants. I mean, the ones around here, you know, we'll get raspberries and yeah. the later uh, part of the year, we'll get rose hips and yeah. nettles and service berries. So, yeah, I love to get all kinds of nice. stuff. Amazing. Nice. What restaurants do you sell to? Oh, yeah. So the big one is uh, Leaf Vegetarian Restaurant okay. sure. um, in sure. Boulder. Street. Yeah. And right now they're taking like... A substantial part of what I what I grow just because they like, use well, so percentage? many mushrooms. I would say they take probably like at least 50% of, wow. of what I grow right now. Wow. There's also some other smaller businesses like uh, there's a food truck that um, sets up here in Boulder near the Vision Quest Brewery uh -huh. and they buy mushrooms from me. Um, recently, somebody who makes samosas uh, started to get mushrooms from me. There's actually a nice. chocolate business that's really cool. They're called Moksha and they make uh, CBD chocolate too, but they're doing oh. a functional mushroom bar. So they awesome. buy uh, mushrooms and dry oh. them out and put them in their chocolate. Um, there's some other restaurants that we work with sort of like on a less frequent basis. Um, mm -hmm. But those are kind of like some of the regular buyers. And then we also work with our, our farm in Longmont, um, Olin Farms, and they sell mushrooms at their oh, uh, farm yeah. stand there. Yeah. So, um, you know, our, our approach has been to just create a lot of like diverse partnerships and everybody has a different need for the mushrooms. Um, you know, I have worked at the farmer's market for a while and I've considered to do farmer's markets, but right now it's just not quite uh, the move for us. It's better to just yeah. work directly with the people that want them because there's, there's a lot. Okay. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. it's like insatiable. The yeah. The craving for mushrooms. <laughs> it it is like, so. indeed. Yeah. yeah. Can you, can um, people come to like your lab or 
Yeah, do you have a storefront? Yeah, so I don't have a storefront, um, but I do sales, you know, so I have an online order form and you can also email me um, about sales, especially like if it's a regular type of order, it's better to email and then, you know, we'll negotiate like because I do wholesaling and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, the best way to do it is just to order off the website or to send me an email, um, but I definitely sell locally. We're going to be also doing some pop-up markets over the summer. There's a moxie uh, feed and seed in North Boulder and... Um, likely going to be setting I up some. Moxie. Yeah, they're great. So, and we're going to sell some lines main there as well. Amazing! Thank yeah, you so much, Zach. This was so informative. Well, yeah. we always have a question that oh my we God, ask I for- everybody. We I ask forgot. two questions to everybody. It's okay. not only like cannabis based though, so I didn't know. It. Right. We, That's why I asked about we future did. Of yeah. Mushrooms. So we already did the future of the mushroom industry uh-huh. and that sort of thing. But yeah. we have a question. Oh yeah. If you, we usually say if you could smoke weed um, or with, consume cannabis. or consume cannabis, but you can, you know, if you could. Consume Chat. mushrooms. Yeah, consume edible or psilocybin or however you want to. Or you go know. on a foraging walk with anyone in the if world. If you could go on a foraging walk Dead with anyone or in the alive. World. <laughs> Dead or alive, not family, who would it be? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> Sorry, Man. that was a butchered. <laughs> yeah, it's like we didn't really think about how we would sub the cannabis. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one. I mean, I feel like, the, of course, the thing that comes to mind is Paul Stamets. Polly, just because Polly. he's, you know, he's just the man, you know. If I can go on a, I meet on a foray so with bad. Paul Stamets, that's sounds pretty fun and then for whatever reason like Walt Whitman came to my mind oh my I don't know God, if you've like read any of I his have. poetry yeah, but sure. like to American go out into the literature woods with was him my minor. okay yeah I like I've got a poetry background too and so like something about Walt yes. you know I feel like he could really uh have some wild stuff to say when he we're would, out there yeah. in the woods definitely elevate the uh experience yeah. so my that. answer might change tomorrow but for now i'll say paul and walt those are <laughs> really nice. good yeah, ones. that's a crew so foray that's what you call like a foraging hike. yep yep nice. let's go Cute. for a foray yep. i love that time to foray Ugh, i'm gonna cool. use that <laughs> well zach this has been thank awesome you this so has been really much cool. yeah thank you so much for having me it's just yeah. fun to talk about what we're doing and share it with everybody so thank you for sharing your knowledge and incredible insight of course. yeah this where can so people knowledgeable yeah where can people find you so find us on bouldermushroom.com that's my website um, you can reach out to me yeah if we have instagram that's just boulder underscore mushroom um facebook boulder mushroom um yeah that's the best way to find me so don't hesitate reach out eat more mushrooms nice yes yes. hell yeah eat mushrooms and also stay stay high. high